Philippians chapter number 2. If you're able, would you please stand in honor and in reverence to the reading of the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the thrice holy God of glory. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. The apostle Paul, as he was led of the Holy Ghost of God to do so, writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach on this simple yet sobering thought, a look beyond the manger. God, help us during these days to never lose sight of the fact that that baby in the manger grew up and he lived 33 and a half years for the sole purpose of walking up Calvary's hill and laying his life down and shedding his precious, powerful blood so that you and I, through him, could not only have life, but have it more abundantly. This morning, as we look into the pages of the Bible together, we're taking an in-depth look beyond the manger. I trust you'll leave your Bible handy throughout the course of the message. Let's bow our heads, shall we? For a moment of prayer, my Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the Word of God. And I pray that you would use it to bring blessing and honor and glory to thy precious name this morning. And Lord, of course, we know, having read and studied your Bible, one of the greatest ways you could do that is by saving those that you sent your Son to die for. Therefore, I pray, should there be one within our midst that's lost and undone without you, Oh, my Father, would you use the Word of God to bring them to a point of conviction, to the point that they would see their need of a Savior and turn from their sin to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ while they yet have opportunity to do so. Help us this morning as we take a look beyond the manger. Stir our hearts. Help me, I'm nothing without you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As you study the Bible, you'll discover that Paul's experiences in Philippi have been recorded for us in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. There, the Word of God reveals that upon entering the Macedonian colony, Paul met a small group of devout ladies meeting by the river for prayer on the Sabbath day. It was there, according to the Bible, that Paul shared the gospel with them and met with instant success. 
Acts chapter 16 teaches us that a lady by the name of Lydia was saved and several others were eventually saved as Paul continued to share the good news of a resurrected Savior with them. It was to those converts who had formed a local church in Philippi that Paul is writing to here in the epistle before us this morning. And it's interesting now that after all the time that had elapsed between his initial meeting with them to the time that he pins this epistle before us, Paul is still making much of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe you'll discover that to be a chief characteristic of Paul's ministry at all times. He always made it a point in his preaching, in his teaching, in his witnessing and soul winning to point others to the Lord Jesus and to his finished work on the cross of Calvary. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what Paul can be seen doing here in the text that God has directed our hearts to this morning. Here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul can actually be seen taking a look beyond that first Christmas morning, beyond the manger. He does so in order to stress to his friends at Philippi the reason that Jesus was born. And with the help of the Lord, that is exactly what I felt led of the Lord to lead each of us in doing this morning. Uh, To remind each and every one of us, Dr. Neal, that uh, Christ's ministry, earthly ministry, uh, might have began with a cradle, but it ends with a crown. It might have began with a heavenly proclamation, but it ends with a heralded praise because Jesus is worthy. That's why we should determine in each of our hearts to make much of Jesus, not just at Christmas time, but at all the time. That's why we should give him glory, not just at Christmas time, but all of the time. After all, it is his birth that we celebrate and recognize this time of year, isn't it? And therefore, my, what a shame it would be for our children to know more about Rudolph and Frosty and Santa than they would know about our Savior at Christmas time. After all, it isn't about them. It's all about him. Amen? Or at least it should be. God used Paul to pen Colossians 1 and 18 where he said, and he, speaking of course of the Lord Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, listen, all things he might have the preeminence. Again, not just at Christmas time, but at all times because he is worthy of it. And nowhere is that truth made any more evident than here in the portion of Scripture that the Lord has led us to this morning. I've always found it interesting that as Paul looks beyond the manger here in the text that he's led us to here in Philippians chapter 2, he is very careful to write about three phases of Christ's ministry that I believe are worthy of our consideration this morning. And therefore, for the next very few moments, let's take an in-depth look, shall we, beyond that first Christmas morning, beyond uh, the manger. Uh, First of all, if you'll notice verses 5, 6, and 7 of this chapter, here Paul is writing about our Lord's cradle. And isn't it interesting, as he begins to write about the Lord's cradle, he begins to tell us and he begins to teach us about the humanity of the Lord Jesus. 
Look at verse number 5. Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him, watch your Bible now, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Here, ladies and gentlemen, Paul, as he is led of the Holy Ghost of God to do so, is writing about the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, he is writing about the fact that although Jesus was equal with God, the Bible goes to great lengths to teach us that he still made himself, he willingly made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He made himself to become like us so we in turn could become like him. Here, ladies and gentlemen, Paul is writing about our Lord's cradle. And he writes, and as he writes about the Lord's cradle, he is careful to teach us about Christ's humanity. Notice two things about our Lord's cradle. First of all, that cradle was a place of prophecy. I say that because many years before Jesus was ever born and wrapped in swaddling clothing and laid in a manger, the prophets of old prophesied to that end. Isaiah chapter number 7 and verse number 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And therefore, since God is as good as His Word, since God has magnified His Word above His own name, just like God said, Jesus was born. And we have record of that birth here in the text before us. We have record of that birth in Luke chapter 2. Here in the verses before us, the Bible is careful to teach us that the cradle was a place of prophecy. May I say that cradle was a place of prediction as well. I say that because the swaddling clothes, the cloth straps that our Savior was wrapped in that first Christmas morning were not only birth clothes, but they were also death clothes for those who died in Jesus' day. And therefore, listen, even the garments that Jesus wore the day that he was first born pointed to the cruel cross of Calvary. Those swaddling clothes pointed to the day when our Savior, having lived 33 and one half years, would literally lay his life down for the sins of humankind on the cross of Calvary. That's why I say, yes, that cradle was a place of prophecy, but that cradle was a place of prediction as well. Listen, Jesus was born to die so that you and I through him might live. I, I, I want you to know this morning, if you're here and you've never met Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you what Jesus did for me? I've been here so many times, probably most of you could share your testimony with the congregation. But let me just say this. When I was a little boy, I had a serious drug problem. My mom and daddy drugged me to church every time the doors were open. And one Sunday morning as a little eight-year-old boy, I heard the gospel. Now, I'd heard all my life that Jesus came to die for others. I knew that. But on that morning, 
The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost opened my heart. And for the first time, I realized, hey, Jesus died for me. I knew I'd been told all my life that he had died for my mom and that he died for my dad and that he had died for the world. But on that Sunday morning, a little eight-year-old boy discovered that he died for me. And on that Sunday, I turned from my sin to the Savior and I trusted him as my Lord and as my King. It was on that day that my life was changed forever. And I want you to know this morning what Jesus did for me. I want you to know that Jesus can and Jesus will do for you. You was the reason he was wrapped in swaddling clothing. You was the reason he laid his life down on the cruel cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for you. But God, Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what that cradle speaks of. That cradle speaks of Christ's humanity. That cradle was a place of prophecy. That cradle was a place of prediction. I'm glad that Jesus was born to die for me. Oh, and my prayer, my prayer this morning, in fact, I've already prayed that the same God that made it personal and real to me that day would make it real personal to you. I want you to know this morning, listen to me, you don't have to die in your sin. You don't have to go to hell. In fact, any man, woman, boy, or girl that dies without Christ and goes to hell goes to hell out of the divine will of God because the Word of God is very careful to teach us that our great Heavenly Father isn't willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You can be saved today. The cradle, the cradle speaks of Christ's humanity. Now let's move on in the text. Paul not only spoke of the cradle in this particular portion of the Bible, but he spoke of the Lord's cross as well. Do you see it? It's right here in the text. And whereas Christ's cradle speaks of his humanity, the cross speaks of his identity. And the reason that I say that is because verse number 8 identifies the Lord Jesus as who He really is, the Savior of the world. Christ became the Savior of the world by laying His sinless life down and by shedding every drop of His precious powerful blood on the cross of Calvary for your sin and for mine. That's why the Bible says in verse number 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, as you and I look beyond the cradle this morning, listen, we can't help but see a cross. As we look beyond that first Christmas morning, we see the reason that Jesus was born. He was born to die. He was born to shed his precious blood. By doing so, he would become the Savior of the world. Jesus laid down his life on the cross of Calvary to pay the sin debt that you and I could have never paid. You've often heard it said, 
He paid a debt that he didn't owe. Because you and I owed a debt we could not pay. That's why Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 declares, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It was a great day in my life when I realized I was a sinner. And I say it was a great day when I realized that I was a sinner because before I could ever come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I had to realize that I was a sinner. I had to realize that I could not save myself. I realized there was a while that I assumed that I could just do better. You know, mama and dad asked me to do something. I didn't do it. That's wrong. I'll do better. I'll turn over a new leaf. But you know the problem with that was? Every time I turned over a new leaf, I'd turn the same leaf back over a few days down the road. I thought I would do better. It didn't work. It was a great day when I saw myself a sinner. I was a sinner. And since I was a sinner, since I could not deliver myself from my sin, I needed a Savior. That's why the Bible in Romans chapter number 5 begins to compare the first Adam, that's our forefather Adam, who sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, with the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 16 says, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift gives of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore it's by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to me this morning. I realize this may be elementary to those of you that have been reared in church all your lives. But I want you to know, I believe with all of my heart, there is someone here that needs to know this morning. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why he had to shed his blood. Because by doing so, he forever satisfied the demands of his father for a payment for your sin and for my sin. That's why, yes, I would be the very first to agree with you if you were to try to convince me this morning that Calvary was a place of suffering because it was. I'd say amen to the fact if you were to try to convince me, Brother Caudill, Calvary was a place of sacrifice because it was. But can I tell you the same Bible that teaches me that Calvary was a place of suffering and that Calvary was a place of sacrifice is the same Bible that teaches me that Calvary was a place of salvation as well Calvary did not take God by surprise Calvary did not slip up on God oh no friend God knew what he was doing by sending his only son to the cross of Calvary that's why Paul said in Colossians chapter number one for it pleased God wow 
It pleased God. And my good works did not please God. Uh, my last name in and of itself did not please God. But the Bible says in Colossians 1 that it pleased the Father that in Him, the Lord Jesus, should all fullness dwell. Listen. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Hear me this morning. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Through His shed blood, through His sacrificial death, Jesus, Jesus made peace with God on our behalf. And in fact, for all who would trust Him as Lord and as Savior. That's why... Here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul not only spoke of the cradle which spoke of Christ's humanity, he went on to speak of the cross which spoke of Christ's identity. That's why when the angelic realm shared with the lowly shepherds who Jesus was, they put it this way, that first Christmas morning, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Somebody say it for me. A Savior. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You've heard it said, if our greatest need would have been an education, then God would have sent us an educator. If mankind's greatest need would have been physical healing, then God would have sent us a physician. If mankind's greatest need would have been a better economy, then God would have sent us an economist. But mankind's greatest need was salvation from his sins. That's why that first Christmas morning... The angels called him a savior. Paul spoke of the cross and the cross spoke of Christ's identity. But here in the text we see one other thing. Paul not only spoke of the cradle which spoke of Christ's humanity. He not only spoke of the cross which spoke of Christ's identity. He also spoke of our Lord's crown. And his crown, beginning with verse number 9, speaks of Christ's sovereignty. And by the way, I'm not afraid of the word sovereign. The word sovereign. The word, I could do some preaching right here and y'all don't have time for me to do it. The word sovereign. That's a Bible word. You don't have to be afraid of the word sovereign. When Paul began to write about the Lord's crown, he was careful and very deliberate to speak of Christ's sovereignty. Paul wrote in verse number 9, Wherefore God, wherefore of course is a connecting word which simply means in light of everything that I've just wrote about. In light of Christ's cradle, which speaks of his humanity. In light of Christ's cross, which speaks of his identity. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That pretty much covers it all. Amen? And that every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, here in these three verses of Scripture, Paul is speaking of our Lord's crown. And as he speaks of our Lord's crown, he speaks of our Lord's sovereignty. And when I use that word sovereignty, I'm simply using a word which in turn emphasizes the fact that Christ and Christ alone is Lord of all. As a result of his sacrificial death, as a result of his shed blood, he's been given a name which is above every name, that in his name and his name alone, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is exactly why Moses spoke as he spoke to that second generation of Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He said in verse 35 of that chapter, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, He is God. There is none else beside Him. He said in verse 39 of that chapter, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven alone and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. That's the God I serve for Him. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15, the Bible says that Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Yes, Paul spoke of the Lord's cradle, the fact that he left the portals of glory and became like us so we could become like him. Yes! Yes, Paul spoke of the Lord's cross and as he spoke of the Lord's cross he identified him as Savior but he didn't stay in the text by dwelling on the cross he looked beyond the cross he looked beyond the cradle and brother he saw the crown and that crown speaks of Christ's sovereignty and the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of our praise in fact the Bible says when speaking of our Savior's crown that there is coming a day when every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and even things under the earth. One day every knee shall bow and recognize my Savior for who and what He really is. Oh, I want you to know this morning one day every atheist will bow. One day every agnostic will bow. One day every blasphemer that's ever used the precious name of my glorious God in vain, one day they'll bow and they'll confess as well that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Muhammad, but Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, but Jesus Christ. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I just say it this morning not Allah but Jesus now the Muslims would have us to believe you call him what you call him we call him what we call him he's all one of the same no he's not I don't work for Allah don't you accuse me of work I don't work for Allah 
is say, preacher, that makes me uncomfortable. Are you kidding? Do you think I care? I do not work for Allah. I don't give him glory. I don't give him praise. As much as I love your pastor and Miss Heather and their precious children and Georgia and the cat whose name I can't seem to remember at this present time, it would take more than my love for them to get me in a car and drive through the storms that we had to drive through yesterday to get me here. I'm telling you, I don't serve Allah. I want to tell you about the God I serve. I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I serve the one that stepped out on nothing and created everything. I serve the King of Kings. I serve the Lord of Lords. And one day, every Allah worshiper will bow and they'll recognize my King and your King, child of God, as who and what He really is. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His crown speaks of His sovereignty. Do you know what that means? It just means He's the one in charge. Now I know, I know we get nervous from time to time. Sometimes we hear a politician say something and we cringe because at the mere sentence he just said is going to drive gas prices up $2 a gallon. Sometimes we worry about things we have no control with. Oh, but let me assure you this morning, there is one who is in charge. Nothing ever occurs to him. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's in charge. He's sovereign this morning. He's in charge. And because he's in charge, you know what he's done? Right here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, he's given you an opportunity to make a choice. He's given you an opportunity to turn from your sin, if you haven't already done so, to him before it is eternally too late. So my question to you this morning is this. I want to tell you, I know we got several visitors here this morning. I've enjoyed this young man being on the front row. Please try to get him back tonight. I'm telling you, he's been, a, you've been there with me ever since I've been preaching. I appreciate it. Amen. I, I like that. Praise God. But I love having all these visitors here. And I know i preached here numerous times. But for the sake of those of you that may have never heard me preach, can I ask you the most important question that you'll ever be asked in your lifetime? Here it is. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Does He live in your heart in the person of the sweet Holy Spirit of God? Oh, but preacher Caudill, I've been baptized. That's not what I ask. I ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus? Now, please don't misunderstand. I think every child of God ought to be baptized. But you get baptized because you have been saved, not to be saved. You ought to join a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, independent, fundamental Baptist church by the name of Emmanuel Baptist Church. But I don't do that to be saved. I do that because I have been saved. No, the question is this. If you were to die right now, 
Would you wake up in heaven or would you wake up in hell? Preacher, is it really that cut and dry? Yes. It really is. And I want you to know it's not hard to be saved. Hear a lot of talk today about easy believism. Well, call it what you want to call it, but I'll tell you this it really isn't hard to be saved. You say, Well, preacher, what must I do to be saved? That's the same. Boy, I tell you, he would come out of that. He came out of that seat on that point, I'm telling you. They asked Paul and Silas the same thing. And you know what Paul and Silas said? You know what Paul said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You say, well, preacher, do you mean to tell me that it's that simple? That's exactly right. So do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know if you were to die today, heaven would be your home? His crown speaks of His sovereignty. One of these days you're going to bow and confess that He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hadn't you rather do it today? You've listened so well. Would you bow your head with me, Father, in Jesus' name? I want to thank you for the story of Christmas. And this morning you've reminded us of the importance of looking beyond the manger. To not only see the cradle which speaks of your humanity. To not only see the cross which speaks of your identity. But to see the crown with an eye of faith that speaks of your sovereignty. Lord could it be there is someone here within our midst today at the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And they do not know if they were to die today heaven would be their home. Oh Father today in Jesus name. I pray you'd deal with that heart. I pray they'd see their need of a Savior. I pray they would turn from their sin to the Lord Jesus while they have yet another opportunity to do so. Please do in their heart that that only you can do. In Jesus' name.